0: Please be seated. Honorable delegates, before we proceed, I'd like to make the following announcement. All delegates in the chamber must connect to the virtual platform. As well as insert their cards to register on the chamber system. Delegates must at all times switch on their videos because it's live. Delegates should ensure that the microphone on their gadgets are muted and remain muted at all times. Delegates who are physically in the chamber must use the floor microphones. Any delegate who wishes to speak must use the raise hand function. All delegates may, may participate in the discussion through the chat room. Delegates are required to wear face masks at all times. Delegates physically in the chamber must occupy seats marked for that purpose as the case, delegates physically in the chamber must at all times maintain social distancing, a distance of at least one and a half meter from each other. Honorable delegates in accordance with Council rule 247 subsection one, there will be no notices of motion or motion without notice honorable delegates before we proceed to question i would like to take this opportunity to welcome the honorable minister from the economic cluster specifically the honorable minister of mineral resources and energy honorable mantashe and uh, the and uh, and the Honorable Minister of Transport, Honorable Mbalula. Further, I would like to make the following remarks, Honorable Ministers, to specifically Honorable Minister Minister Mantashe and Honorable Minister Mbalula. The time for reply by the Minister to a question is five minutes. Only four supplementary questions are allowed per question, if there's that need. A member who has asked the initial question will be the first to be afforded an opportunity to ask a supplementary question. The time for asking supplementary question, it's strictly two minutes. The time for reply to a supplementary question, is four minutes, one minute less than the initial five. The supplementary question must emanate from the initial question. I hope it's clear, honorable members. I now invite the honorable Minister Mantashe to come to the podium, honorable Mantashe. As it's at the podium now, uh, I ask the Honorable Minister to respond to question number 91 asked by Honorable Modise. Honorable Minister.
1: Um, thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable uh, Chief Whip, Honorable Members, uh, to the NSOP. The, the first question is about the role the department is playing in reducing accidents. Whether any assistance given to any family members, victims or survivor of a man accident. There is a detailed response to that, but let me abridge it uh, to fit to the five minutes. One, the department is having a responsibility to regulate. Now, responsibility to regulate doesn't mean that the department itself doesn't go to a mine and install uh, support structures uh, or do any preventive measures. It issues rules and regulations and enforce the rules and regulations. The owner of a mining company does do the prescribed, measures to reduce uh, to reduce the accidents in the mine. So the question, the answer to the question therefore is, rules are in place, they're enforced. For example, is the only one sector where it is legislated that workers must refuse to do danger, and arrange a dangerous place. There's no other sector. That provision is now being introduced to the broader legislation. But in the Mine Health and Safety Act, that regulation of workers refusing to enter a dangerous place was introduced many years ago, is part of the rule. So there are quite a number of rules and regulations that companies must comply with. So that is our contribution and enforcer. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Minister. Honorable Modise.
2: Thank you very much, House Chair.
0: Should I uh, remove my mask? Yes, you are allowed to remove your mask for the interpreters uh, to read your lips.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, House Chair and good afternoon, uh, my colleagues, and good afternoon, Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Minister, for for, for responding in my question. Uh, I have a follow-up, Honorable Minister. I see that we are doing very well in making sure that the accident that was happening previously in the mine must not occur again. But uh, my follow-up question is what uh, the measures will be the department put in place to make maintain or improve the current downwards trend we are seeing in the mining facilities and health and safety in the mining generally. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Romodise, Honorable Minister.
1: To understand, the the, the impact of the rules and regulations. You'll have to go in and follow the statistics. Uh, In the year 2018, we set a record uh, in terms of the accidents at 73 fatalities. In year 2019, we slipped backwards. Now, that was 2017, 2018, we slipped backwards to 80. In year 2019, we improved and set a new record at number 51. At 2020, we slipped back to uh, 60. And, and, And all that shows is that though our objective is to have zero fatality in the industry, Uh, it is a physical situation which you must manage. Uh, Normally, when you are given statistics, they will tell you that we are at, um, uh, we're two behind one at 53, because there's a seven that is uh, categorized as uh, miscellaneous, that is deaths in the mine that are not ascribed to accidents. But I always add those numbers and say it is 60, we'll slip backwards. Because if you die of a stroke, uh, you die in a mine. There's no rock fall, but there's a heat stroke. You die in a mine. So we'll slip backwards. And therefore it calls upon us as a department with the sector to go back and plan further how to tighten regulation of that area in terms of health and safety to the numbers on an ongoing basis. Our objective is zero fatality in the mining
3: industry.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. You. Uh, the second follow-up question is from Honorable Ryder. Honorable Ryder.
4: Thank you, House Chairperson. <clears throat> Thank you, Minister. <clears throat> Minister, and before I start, I want to say thank you very much for attending in the House today. Your presence is much appreciated. Minister, you've answered on the safety in the formal sector, but given the ever-expanding presence of Zama Zama miners, particularly in Gauteng, what is your department doing to restrict their activities and to close down their mining operations and keep them closed uh, in order to protect them from themselves in order to protect the surrounding communities and also to reduce the burden on the emergency sector. Thank you, Minister.
0: Thank you, Honorable Ryder, Honorable Minister.
1: Well, remember, the first thing we must agree on is that Zama-Zama is not a mining activity, it is a criminal activity. And every time there is Zama-Zama, there is a criminal site and once there is a criminal side, that is transferred from mineral resources and energy to police. And we have been talking to the police to say, the best way of dealing with illegal mining is to set up an illegal mining unit in the police services, which can deal in a focused way with illegal mining. We have not succeeded in establishing that. We are continuing to engage to get that. That would be the best response to illegal mining, which is not a mining activity, but a criminal activity. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. The third follow-up question is from Honorable Zandamela. Honorable Zandamela, it's a virtual. Honorable Zandamela.
5: Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. I'm going to take Honorable Zandamela's question.
0: Okay, Honorable Matevula is standing for, for Honorable Zandamela. Continue, Honorable Matebul.
5: Thank you very much, Chair. Minister, it has been more than five years now since Lily Mine workers in Pumalanga died following a tragic incident. And to this day, the families are still seeking closure. Minister, let me remind you. These are people, not some equipment as you and the uh, capitalists would want us to think. Evoni Minisi, Pritin Kambule, and Solomon Nirenda. These are sisters. These are children. These are cousins. These are community members. Did the business rescue practitioners prioritize money over the dignity of these mine workers? Is the involvement of people like Amen Mashaba with business interests helping the families? And will you apologize today here in the council to the families of having to wait this long before they can find closure? Thank you, Chair.
0: Honorable Minister.
1: Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. I regard myself as a veteran of mining. I witnessed disasters. I was a witness to the Kindle's disaster. I was a witness to Valref disaster, Sandelina disaster, Hlobane disaster, I can give you the list, where I was physically involved. All those disasters were in companies that were privately owned. The state didn't take over that responsibility from the private owners. Uh, Chlobane was owned by a private company and all of a sudden the state must take over. That is the, the, the what I call occupational hazard of a modern state where there's democracy, where the state must take responsibility for recklessness of private owners. What we are doing in the department is to talk to the investors to reopen Lily Mine. And when we say that, we say, appreciate that there is a container that is in here in whatever activity we're going to do, we'll have to take that container out. That work continues. So I'm not sure if I'm required to apologize on behalf of a private company. As a minister of state, what should that mean in the real life? That means every time there's a disaster, whether it is the Palaburuan disaster or the West Refunding disaster, the disaster that we have seen in recent times, it means the state must come and apologize on behalf of those private owners. I think it's a misplaced question.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. The fourth follow-up question is from Honorable Ngwezi. Honorable Ngwezi, it's virtual. Honorable Ngwezi. No. It means it's not connected. Honorable Minister, we now come to question number 110 asked by Honorable Smith. Honorable Minister.
1: Uh, Question 110 by Honorable Smith is talking to the uh, extension of life at Quebec by 20 years to 2044. And the question is whether the budget is sufficient for the project? If not, why not? If so, what are the relevant details? Uh, You must remember that Quebec is an asset of ESCOM. People sometimes forget about that. They think that it's just a nuclear asset that is out there. It's not a, a loose asset. It's a state of ESCOM. ESCOM is part of the extension of life for Quebec because Quebec is a very important asset there. They provide South Africa with the lowest cost energy today. Leave all the other discussion. Only Quebec gives the state uh, energy at 40 cents a unit. And therefore the extent of that life is good for ESCOM, is good for the country, is good for society. Therefore, uh, the ESCOM will actually provide the budget for the extension of that life. But there's an agreement between the department ESCOM, and the National Nuclear Regulator the extension. It is underway and we've have, we have not received from the department any complaint that there's a shortage of budget for that extension. It's a necessary extension of life of Quebec and we think it will help South Africa in the energy crisis that it is facing.
6: Thank you, Honourable Minister. Honourable Smith. first follow-up question. Thank you, Honourable uh, House Chair and Honourable Minister. Thank you for coming in for us today in the House. Uh, Minister, thank you very much uh, for your answer. Um, We know that uh, nuclear energy, although uh, you say that it's very uh, uh, cheap and the cheapest in South Africa, it's a very dangerous form of of, uh, power generation, if not managed properly. So, Honorable Minister, there are speculations during the rounds that not all is well at uh, the Quebec power station and uh, that it poses a risk to the surrounding communities if anything serious might go wrong. Uh, there are talks of it running at a higher temperature than it should. Uh, can you please assure South Africans that their safety and health is assured and that you will personally take responsibility for any casualty in this regard?
1: Honorable Minister. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Kubek is an asset of ESCOM. ESCOM is falling under the Department of Public Enterprises. Now, it doesn't make sense for a different minister to take responsibility for an asset in a different ministry. Now I'm asked to to take personal responsibility for an asset that is in TPE from DMRE It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Uh, But the reality of the matter is that there is no history of Quebec being a danger to surrounding communities. There will be incidents like any other entities, but there's never been, it's not Chernobyl. It's Quebec that we're talking about. It is in the Western Cape. It does not have that history of Uh, massive disasters around it. We're hoping that it will continue to be safe and I hope ESCOM will continue maintaining that safety record of Quebec because it's a very important asset.
0: Thank you, Honourable Minister. The second follow-up question is from Honourable Mateula. Honourable Mateula.
5: (laughs) Minister, do you agree with me that to address these challenges, the state needs to take a strategic control of South African minerals and petroleum for the benefit of all? We are saying this because mines like ivin plants in Mukopane, is failing to provide to communities such as Mahora and Tamahans with boreholes. Mines like Exolomintal mine in Tabazimbi is failing to assist the community of Rihokhile with water. Exaro in the Palale is failing to assist the community of Marapong extension 124 with water, but they benefit from all these communities. In mines, it's like this, where where the event that is there, there is no benefit for the community. Should the state mining companies are ruling, are running these mines for the public, or for the benefit, or not for profit? Thank
1: you, Minister. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Thank you, uh, Thomas Tolo, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Kensile Snell. laughs> uh, You know. One of the things I've discovered with mining that now after many years I'm a minister is that everybody wishes to die. They want to kill it, it must not exist. It's too dangerous, too difficult, it's too diseased, it's too, uh, it's difficult, diseased, dirty and dangerous. So it must not exist. I don't subscribe to that approach. I think mining contributes effectively to the economy. The first thing for the mining industry to fulfill the needs of surrounding communities, it must be operational. It must be profitable. It must have money to spend on the needs of communities. But if we think that we can kill them, but still benefit, I think we're saying one plus two is zero. It's wrong mathematically, it's wrong arithmetically. We must sustain the mining industry, it must make it operate profitable effectively so that it can meet the needs of communities. Uh, Actually, if you are following mining communities, you see the systematic change that is happening in terms of money spent on development of those communities. That's why if you go to a we will be delivering a health clinic there to the Department of Health built by the mines. We do the same in Middleburg, we do the same everywhere. It's because the mindset is changing, that mining companies need a social license to operate profitable in communities where they are mining. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Minister. The third follow-up question is from Honorable Tutroit on uh, virtual. Honorable Detroit.
7: Thank you, Chen. Minister, I hear when you say that um, ESCOM is responsible for Kuburg. It's an asset of them, but it, uh, it generates energy. Minister, with the lifespan of Kubrick nuclear power station being discussed, please indicate what the current status of the containment buildings are. Now, this is the outer cells of the reactor buildings built as pressure vessels to withstand the pressure if the reactors inside them ever malfunction and therefore prevent harmful radiation being leaked into the environment. And also indicative of a detailed report on the chloride damage to the concrete reactor containment domes, as well as the alleged damage to the stainless steel used in the structures of this plant, Um, Without these redactions as opinion and sensitive technical information in the report will be submitted to uh, this house as soon as possible. Thank you, Minister.
0: Thank you, Honourable Detroit.
6: Honourable Smith. My apology, Chair, um, House Chair. I, I'm just worried, you know, in terms of the, the rules, in terms of the follow-up questions, and not to this member, but the previous member that, uh, that you allowed the minister to respond to, that was totally not relevant to, to, the, to the original question. So I just want clarity in terms of, you know, is it going to be acceptable to ask any question as a follow-up question from now on?
0: I'm happy you are referring to the previous one. But in terms of the rule of the House, if as I explained that the question must be linked to the original question. So we just leave it to the minister whether to comment. But minister was clear that it's not linked when even he was commenting. So he has correctly uh, dealt with it in an appropriate way in terms of the rule of the National Council of Provinces. But now I'll allow you, Honorable Minister, to deal with the question asked by Honorable Dutoyed. Honorable Minister. Thank you
1: very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. My coming to the NCOP is that I want to contribute as much as I can to the body of knowledge that is required by the NCOP. That's why I try to answer even questions that are irrelevant. Uh, That is informed by my desire to contribute to the body of thinking of the NCOP. Now, again, the question that was asked now, uh, as I said in the first answer, Quebec is in ESCO, ESCO is in DPE. Now, to be asked to give detailed answers on Quebec safety and other issues is actually a question that should actually be shelved for the DPE to come to the NCOP and answering questions about ESCO they will deal with the issues of Quebec. That would be my response, Honorable chairperson
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. The fourth uh, follow-up question is from Honorable Ndongeni, who's on the virtual platform. Honorable Ndongeni, I can see Honorable Laboskakhin is enjoying the privilege of being closer to the podium. Honorable
8: Ndongeni,
9: Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Will the extension of Quebec Power Plant assist in the general stability of electricity supply in the country? Thank you, Chair.
0: Thank you, Roman Dongeni. Honorable Minister.
1: Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Quebec is part of the supply of energy in South Africa is not one of those plus that give us problems in terms of unreliability of power availability. Therefore, if we extend the life of copper by 20 years, at least we have some 20 years guaranteed of sustainable supply of energy. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable Minister, we now come to question number 93, asked by Honorable Mati Be. Honorable Minister.
1: Honorable Matibe, Honorable Honorable Chair, is asking about uh, the the MPRDA and other piece of legislation that are meant to promote local beneficiation. Have they assisted beneficiation? Beneficiation is value addition. That's what it means. It is, it is called with a big name called beneficiation, simply meaning value addition. Now, value addition goes beyond mining because mining is exploration, where you find the mineral, mining engineering, where you build a mine, metallurgical processes, where you separate a mineral from the rock, and that is the end of mining activity. Beyond that, begin the question of value addition. Whether it is diamond cutting, whether it is creating a rings in gold or in platinum, that takes place beyond mining. It requires cooperation of various departments and facilitation of the work of value addition. Uh, and in doing so, it must be attractive as a business in the value chain. Because if it's not attractive as a business in the value chain, it is not going to attract people who will invest in beneficiation, and that's why we always complain about if the price of electricity, for example, goes through the roof, it discourages beneficiation, and you'll find people taking raw commodities to Asia. Thank you so much, Mr.
0: Honourable Honourable Please mute.
1: Okay. Then when they take it to to Asia, Asia add value to it and bring it back as as a complete goods. We should deal with all the challenges facing us in terms of beneficiation. Furnaces that are closed must be opened. If we can open them, we are low at the beginning of beneficiation. My view is that beneficiation will not be done by just act and legislation. It should be done by creating conducive environment around beneficiation. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Hon. Minister. The first follow-up question will be from Honorable uh, Matibe, who's on virtual platform. Honorable Matibe.
8: <laughs> thank you very much uh, uh, house chairperson uh, the Masia minister um, <laughs> 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 thank, thank you very much for, <laughs> for the response uh, indeed uh, the issue of beneficiation will assist a lot in terms of job creation uh, into our economy looking at the a high level of uh, unemployment. And um, I I fully agree with you, Honorable Minister, that it will be a collaboration of uh, different departments, including departments like uh, trade and industry, the economic cluster, all of them. Uh, And I think uh, that will indeed assist. Um, So I think part of uh, what I needed to to ask has been answered uh, very well, but uh, just to expand the Honorable Minister, uh, if indeed that collaboration happens between those uh, uh, different departments, how will that uh, assist in terms of creating employment opportunities for our people, more especially young people? Um, Thank you very much, uh, Minister.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister.
1: Uh, Honorable Chairperson, there is no d- debate in South Africa about benefits of beneficiation. We all agree. We all wish we can accelerate the question of beneficiation. But what is required is for us to work together in creating the environment for that beneficiation. And I think the entry point for me, I'm very passionate about that, is that the price of electricity as an administered price must be regulated such that it is electricity generation for industrialization. Once we do that, then beneficiation will take off. If we can intervene on the price of electricity, when it is already high, uh, we give 15% increase to ESCOM by court, through court rulings. We must know that every time we give a 15% increase on price of electricity, we are reducing the opportunities for beneficiation. Therefore, the state, a collection of departments must intervene and regulate that price for industrialization. If we can't do that, we're neglecting our responsibility for job creation. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Minister. The second follow-up question is from Honorable Matevula on a virtual platform. Honorable Matevula. Hi. Honorable Matevula. Hopeful is not failed by network as is always the case in that part of Limpopo. Any other person that can stand in for Honorable Matevula, if he's struggling, if we don't have that arrangement, then we can take the next uh, follow-up question. I hope Honorable Ngwezi is not struggling. If he's still struggling, then we can take
6: Honorable Smith who's in the house. Honorable Smith. Uh, thank you, Honourable House Chair. Um, I would first respond to Honourable Tibe to say Ndadi Um Honourable um, Minister, uh, beneficiation is one of those policies that sounds good, but it's only good if it happens naturally, uh, because there are obvious uh, economic benefits. When government tries to force it by regulation, it will erase costs Uh, for miners and of course the uh, loss uh, of mining jobs. You can't argue with economic reality. The iron laws of economics say you you get nothing for free. The ANC think you can get beneficiation jobs for free, ignoring the mining jobs that will be lost through raised costs. But I, I heard that you addressed the issue on cost, but the problem is actually Uh, most of all, we don't have power. Uh, Even for established parts of the economy, when governments, uh, government believes we will will need Turkish power ships for 20 years, just to give us an emergency supply for electricity, where does this government believe we will find sufficient electricity to bring significant uh, beneficiation on stream? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Thank you very much,
1: uh, Honourable Chairperson. I also see uh, the smuggling of a different question into the question. That's why you asked that question earlier. You wanted to smuggle this question, but let me deal with it. One, there's no economic activity that is natural. Every economic activity is a function of an entrepreneur planning for it, and an entrepreneur can plan for it out of engagement, out of discussion, and the state has that responsibility of actually promoting the attractiveness of beneficiation as an economic activity. That's why I said earlier, which you didn't listen to, I said, for beneficiation to be accelerated, it should be economically attractive in the value chain of mining and value addition. And what I mean is that if it is profitable enough, entrepreneurs will invest in it. That's the first question. The second one is that a beneficiation is not a question of a wish list. It's a question that many countries do and increase their economic activity. You know, one time China, uh, imported raw commodities, added value and sell back, and the economy dropped to 4.3%, they took a decision to open up the Western side of China. And out of that, the economy picked up to 14.6% and they had what is called economic heating. Now, it's not natural. It is because there was an intervention that turned the situation around. The problem with South Africa is that we are suspicious of governing and we think that governance is a bad thing. And we should allow free market to go uh, on its own. And even the most conservative economists know that free market requires government state intervention from time to time. Now we fear that in South Africa. Now, you talk of power ships, uh, it is worrying me when we discuss the power ships, even before the question of getting their contract signed and we discuss on how we not, and and we say we want emergency power. When we do assessment, we give you emergency power. You begin to attack the facilities to give emergency power. And when we don't get that emergency power, I can tell you when I come back here, you will say, where is the emergency power? At that point, you will have forgotten that you shut down some of the aspects of emergency power. What is a Turkish invention today? Give us an opportunity that a subsidiary which works with the Turkish power ships can understand that ship and in 10, 20 years, we may have South African power ships. So uh, it, it, there's nothing that comes to you because you are sleeping and you're watching. Things come to you because you intervene, you take a negative interest, you participate and you invent. So science and technology is about invention. Invention is about learning from others. That's why Chinese that had no nuclear technology a few years ago, today they have a perfect nuclear technology because they learned from United States, France, uh, Russia, uh, South Korea, and send thousands and thousands of young people. Now they have their own technology. In South Africa, we fear venturing into the unknown. And you cannot be innovative if you fear venturing into the unknown.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable Minister, we now come to question number 90, asked by Honorable Arnold. Honorable Minister.
1: Uh, Honorable Arnold uh, is asking us uh, issues of ESCOM role in the electricity sector. And the financial challenge faced by the national power utility. And our response is the shortest on this question. The department uh, looked into this question, reviewed it, and against the mandate, and has determined that the most appropriate respondent should be the Department of Public Enterprises. We don't deal with anything that is having a, a word energy. ESCOM is falling under DPE. It is DPE that must deal with those issues of ESCOM.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable, Honorable
10: Chair, On a point of order, with due respect to the minister, I hear what he says. Can we, in the whippery, sort this out? Because previously, when we raised the question to a minister, the minister's office on come back and say, This question should not be directed to my department, it should be directed to another department so that we can sort out whether it belongs to that department before we enter the house. Thank you.
0: I'm happy how we are raising it. Uh, It belongs to the structure you are referring to. The WIPA is going to be able to assist the house so that we do justice to it. Uh, We are not going to be engaging on it now. Uh, First opportunity, after the explanation given by Honorable Minister, I'll give it to Honorable uh, Arnot. Arnott. Honorable Arnott.
11: Thank you, I'll say person. Yes, Minister, uh, you, you're going to us answer this question because uh, you need to account for your own executive portfolio. So we want an answer from you, we demand an answer from you. Now, The question of electricity has become one of the most pressing issues facing the South African economy and its recovery. Our local economic recovery and growth prospects depend on sustainable electricity being placed at the top of the agenda. ESCOM is right in the middle of the state capture inquiry as millions have ended up being stolen through widespread mismanagement and corruption. Now, Minister, is it true that ESCOM management is refusing the deal with Car Power Sub-SA and that your department facilitated the bid? Why is your department best place to facilitate the bid of the procurement when ESCOM is the buyer? And lastly, was your wife or her associates involved in any way. Thank you.
0: Honorable Minister.
1: I don't know how is uh, Honorable Honorable going to force me to answer a question that belongs to another executive authority. I don't know how it's going to force me. ESCOM is in TPE. Energy is with me, excluding ESCOM now. Let me tell you, uh, because you follow newspapers and speculation, even articles written as a failed bidder making the following accusation. You want me to answer? here?" It's in court papers. We'll deal with that in the court papers. But I can assure you, Honourable Arnold, when you go through that court process, you'll discover that my wife doesn't even smell close to that process. Actually, she has no clue about energy. Uh, She's a nurse, and she has worked in the mines. Mining, she knows. Energy, she has no clue. You will discover that at the end of that process, okay? So I don't know when you talk of associates, when you talk of familial, what do you mean? I read it in the newspapers, like you. I can't answer you, but the reality of the matter is that ESCOM is in DPE, is not in TMRE, and if you are asking about embedded generation to supplement the shortage of energy, I would give you a full answer, because embedded energy is managed by our department. escom is managed by TPE, so I don't manage anything that is called energy. Okay, I man. If you talk embedded energy, you talk of Uh, Imagine procurement and all those things, you will get the answer from me. But if you ask questions about ESCOM, you will have to go to DPE. That's where that entity is in terms of portfolios, in terms of executive authority. Thank you, Honorable Chair.
0: Thank you. Honorable members, uh, I sustain the the point of order raised by Honorable Labus in relation to the issues of ESCOM, because uh, we party can do justice in assisting us to make uh, executive members when are coming here to account. And there's nothing that is stopping NCOP to have both ministers in a day, in one room, as and when we want to discuss energy and ESCOM matters. So I'm appealing to the few that will be making the follow-up so that we make that uh, separation because I've sustained the point of order as made by Honorable Labuskakhin. Uh, the next uh, follow-up question is from Honorable Ntsube who's on a virtual platform. Honorable Ntsube.
2: Thanks, uh,
12: Honorable House Chair. Uh, I can see that people are trying by all means to find expression.
5: However, Honorable
12: House Chair, I'm covered by the response of the Minister and I think that the question should be referred to the Minister of Public Enterprise. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Honorable Nsube.
6: Uh, Honorable Smith. Honorable House Chair, I think for the fact that the original question is not uh, relevant to the Department, it is it's counterproductive to ask for law. Thank you.
0: Honourable uh, Dutoit, on a you, honorable
7: platform. Honourable Chair, let's hope this um, this fits in, Minister, with the president signing legislation that uh, allows alternative energy to be incorporated into the grid. To assist with the electricity need in South Africa, since the power utility can't deliver to South Africans' electrical demand, when will the power utility uh, be ready no let me rephrase that um to make it appropriate to your to your ministry do you know when the alternative energy that's being generated will be able to be incorporated into the grid you, you even though
0: i know very well that uh...
7: So, it's it's, a, Chair, it's very it, difficult. I mean, energy is energy. I know energy is not necessarily ESCOM, but the two takes hands. Um, the, no, the, the, hand the, the question
0: is correct, but the, the danger is that, as Honourable Smith summarized it, it's not linked to the original one, but I'll leave it to the Minister to uh, deal with it. Honourable um, Minister.
1: The, 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 what will help NSOP? is members of the NSOP to follow developments. Uh, If they follow developments, they will know how far we've gone with bid window four up to now. And they will know that we are now in the process of uh, selling uh, opportunities for bid window five. They will know that in August, we'll start processes for bid window six they will know that in February we start process for being window seven. Then if they know that, they will have a sense of when that energy will come to the stream. Number two, they will know that we have actually agreed and started issuing out requests for information. We've agreed on ministerial section 34, uh, uh, ministerial determination, they will know that we are requesting uh, for proposals for the 11,813 megawatts from various sources of energy. When they follow that, they will know that they, at this time we're expecting to have uh, an amount of energy from renewables. Uh, out of that, they will see that 6,000 plus is from renewables. Number two, they will see that there is a 3,000 megawatts expected from gas. They will know that there is 150 expected from coal. They will know uh, all the breakdown of the various technology of the 11,813 megawatts. So once you follow that, you will have a sense of staggered coming to the grid of energy. If you are following the developments, you will know that at least the first mining company has been given a license for self-generation of 40 megawatts. And we're encouraging all the mining companies to come. Let's give them money to do uh, build energy for self-generation and connect to the grid and trade with the surplus. But if you want to do self-generation for own use only, there's no limit, there's no need for a license. So in that way, we'll have a staggered entrance of the energy to the crate. I'm talking now outside of ESCOM. Uh, when you have a unit of commercialized, there's an amount of energy that goes to the crate. I don't get into those details. When you move to unit 4 additional and, and uh, me to be the same, and I'm leaving that as part of the ESCOM answer when you invite the DPE. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Oral Minister. Honourable Minister, we now come to question number 109, asked by Honorable Nguita. Honorable Minister.
1: Honorable Nita is asking us about uh, the process of installing natural saltwater water uh, heaters. I call them solar users. Uh, Where there's sufficient training and uh, preventive installation and all that. First of all, when I was talking to the department about this question, I said the most honorable thing to do about solar users is to admit openly that after this is a disaster that we inherited, it's our disaster now. Uh, We cannot continue blaming our predecessors about it. It's on our table, we must deal with it. 87,000 solar geysers were in storage. Uh, We've taken all those solar geysers out of storage to the various municipalities. Uh, Out of 87,000, just over 7,000 of those solar geysers have now been installed in a program to rectify that disaster. uh, the DG and, and, and I fight a, almost every Monday and say 7,000 out of 87,000 is a drop in an ocean, We must accelerate this. And we discovered the number of uh, problems that we had to come up the one, they were put there, nothing was done. And I think out of that storage money, it was a slash fund. We are suspecting that. We're putting in an in, uh, investigation into that, we want to get details to it. Number two, many of the subconductors have subconducted to install them. We discovered many of them have no skill to do so. They need further training for them to, 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 to do it. So we are sitting with a disaster in our hands and we we'll sort that disaster out on our it. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. First, follow-up questions to, from Honorable Nita, who's on a virtual platform. Honorable Nita.
13: Thank you very much, Chair. Let me thank the Minister for the response to the question, and I also appreciate uh, him for giving us the challenges that they are facing in terms of installing the solar visas. But what I would like to know now as you have outlined that they have identified that there are some people who do not have proper training to do the actual work just to check how far then is the department in terms of training such people how many are they they have trained already or else when are they starting to train those people thank you very much Chair.
0: thank you honorable, Nita, honorable minister
1: the fact that, Honorable uh, Chairperson, that uh, close to 10,000 of those solar gazers have now been installed reflect this small progress that we're making in training those subcontractors and training them and give them the, the task to install the solar gazers where it is necessary. So we are watching that space very closely. We have monitored uh, the subcontractors that are not skilled, and the training is ongoing, and we'll continue doing so until we'll resolve the problem. At this point in time, what we have agreed to do is not to come to the NSOP and paint a, a, a beautiful picture that it is going to happen now is It's not hungry, Doris. It's a disaster that we inherited. We are busy trying to sort it out. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. The second follow-up question is from uh, Honorable Apleni, who's on a virtual platform. Honorable Apleni.
5: Chairperson, we have communicated to the table that they would draw from uh, the follow-up question from Honorable Apleni. Thank you. Thank you,
0: Honorable Matevula. Then we'll move to Honorable uh, Fessel. Was in the chamber. Honorable Fezzer.
2: And Minister, taking into consideration the corruption and fraud going on in South Africa, um, and the postponing of the National Solar Heater Program for the past four to five years to train installers, which clearly shows a lack of planning and foresight. How much did your department spend on the storage cost over the past four to five years. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Professor. Honorable Minister.
1: Uh, Honorable Person. you know, when you fight with a coward, and you slip and fall, <laughs> it opens up an opportunity for you to beat you to death on your floor. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm in the portfolio for less than two years. I'm in the portfolio for less than two years. What we inherited is a disaster. One of the disasters we inherited is the solar case problem. That's one. We, accept. we reported here when I started in the, in, the, in the portfolio that that storage program costed the department 290 million rand. I'm describing that as a slash fund. I describe it so. And therefore accepting that uh, there's many things that are not explainable to that cost. But I'm saying we are now attending to it. I will quantify the progress we're making uh, every time we make that progress. And I will also come and account on the obstacles and the failures that we come across as a department. So work is underway to get that right. And uh, the the question of that money flowing out, one time they came to me and said, for this year we have budgeted an amount of 73 million for the solar gaza program. I said to them, I don't want you to tell me that program in financial terms. I want a report in terms of the number of the solar gazers that are on rooftops. Because that's the only way you can quantify progress. It's not the money spent. Money in this case is a blunt tool. The real tool is measurement of performance. And that's where we are at this point in time.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable Minister, we now come to question Number nine four asked by Honorable Tutuot, Honorable
1: Minister. Uh, Honorable Tutuot is asking, uh, how do we ensure that southern benefit from the country's mineral wealth while also implementing a transformation in the sector without affecting mining sector negatively? as a mission of this department, is also to ensure that South Africa derive sustainable benefits from the country's mineral wealth. The starting point is, uh, honorable Tutoi must disabuse himself of equating transformation as costing benefits. He must disabuse himself of that. One of the important things about transformation is to expand the pool from which you fish. And we must not be ashamed of that and must not be apologetic of that. We must accept it and deal with it. And appreciate that transformation is necessary. You know, uh, in my other portfolios, I was asked this question and I said to them, transformation is not about destroying jobs and economic growth. It is about recognizing black competence and black excellence, and include them in the pool of skills that we need for any sector to grow. Up to now, we are succeeding in doing that. Therefore, the legislation that are in place, whether it is the MPRDA or the charter, all of them create an environment for the mining industry to grow and remain competitive while ensuring that the mining industry transforms. So it is not growth or transformation, it's both. Uh, Transformation facilitates growth because you have a bigger pool to to, to fish from. I don't know how many people remember this. You know, in 1994, Honorable Chapeci, this country, had never had an Africaner as a CEO of a mining company in 1994, not one. All the Afghan CEOs you see today are beneficiaries of change. But in the process, we've also produced uh, female CEOs in the industry, not as window shopping, but competent CEOs who are female, uh, you know, I was talking to one African female, uh, Ms. Filloon, and I said to, to her, if it was not for change and transformation, you wouldn't be a CEO, she laughed at me. But the reality of the matter is that up to 1994, white females were PAs. Today, they are part of the transformation, they are benefiting. Black South African are benefiting, thank you.
0: Thank you, Honourable Minister. The first follow up question is from Honourable Detroit, who is on a virtual platform. Honourable Dutroit.
7: Thank you, Honourable House Chair. Minister, would you agree that the mining sector is currently under severe pressure? I know that the exchange rate is currently in favour of, of the mining sector, since we are selling in dollars but it's a fact that a lot of the mining houses are closing down some of its shafts. And um, also the restrictive regulations has an impact on, on the mining industry. How does your department assist the mining industry to thrive and to contribute to job creation and financial growth?
1: Thank you, Honorable Detroit. Honorable Minister. Uh, even after COVID-19 lockdown, Honorable chairperson Uh, you will discover that mining is not one of those sectors that have retrenchments all over. Because we work with the industry, uh, we scaled up the production. And that's why in quarter three of 2020, the lead department on economic reconstruction and recovery was mining. It continues to contribute positively and it is going to continue uh, contributing positively in the first quarter of 2021, because we work together, we appreciate the importance of the role of mining in the economy. So, I don't want to answer questions that are dealing with speculation and feelings, because we are dealing with the with the sector directly, hands on. You know, in the last two days, I spoke to a few CEOs congratulating them for the performance. And I said to them, I'm not assessing their performance in terms of sales, because sales will reflect price as well. I assess sales and I assess production and productivity. When you improve on both of them, I know that the industry is taking good shape. And many said to me, good price will attract increase in productivity, is that is economics 101. Uh, when prices are good, supply increases. What is wrong with that? Because commodity prices, but their nature is cyclical. Now, when there's a good cycle and the mining companies are going to take advantage of that, there's nothing wrong with that, is what should happen? So uh, I am one of those people who believe that transformation, contributes positively to the economy. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. Uh, The second follow-up question is from Honorable Poshoff, who is in the chamber. Honorable Poshoff.
14: Thank you very much, House Chair. Good afternoon, Minister. Minister, have you taken note of or investigated similar best practice beneficiation schemes from around the world or not, especially such as the new Norwegian oil fund, in order to see if they would find any application in South Africa. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, I do that every day, okay. But I don't focus on Norwegian. I focus on investment in South Africa I'm excited by the increased investment by Anglo in South Africa, particularly in the platinum sector and the iron ore sector. That excites me. I'm excited by the increased investment by Sebanye And opening up of closed shaft in Marikana, that excites me. When you begin to see a number of those, I don't want to talk, even talk about the Australian investment in the copper mines in Northern Cape, You can have a lot of those. Once you look at the investment, you are helping yourself not to be depressed because some Norwegian fund has a view about your country. You will pay your attention to the developments in your country and they will excite you all the time. The fact that production in mining has improved, that excites me. The fact that mining is performing well Uh, uh, for three quarters in a row now. Helping taking South Africa out out of the longest recession Uh, excites me. And the fact that uh, Moody's couldn't pronounce South Africa because they see all the positive sides, but they want to ensure that they are sustainable. And our responsibility is to do the right thing, sustain the positive developments, for Moody's to take us out of the junk status and make us an investment destination of choice. So once we do that, it will help us do much better as an economy, not just one investment fund in Norway but the overall performance of the economy. That I can see you're shaking your head because you're obsessed with Norwegian investment. I'm obsessed with investment in South Africa. Our team, our team, get inquiries from Canadian investors every day. They are coming in and we're working with them. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Honorable Minister. The next follow-up question is from Honorable Zander Mela, who's on the virtual platform. Honorable Mela.
5: Thank you very much, Chair. We have communicated again with the uh, table to withdraw the Honorable Zandamela for asking the follow-up question. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Honorable Ategula. The last supplementary uh, question to you, Honorable Minister, is from my mama, Honorable PB. Mama.
9: And you bong, Baba? I love you, mama. I love you, too, Baba. You're born a gwen a salo when I'm shanty. You're being a moya. No, Ukuze Has there been meaningful transformation in the mining industry since the advent of democracy? Mama. Love you, mama. I
8: love
0: Honourable
8: you, too, Minister.
0: <laughs>
1: Uh, (laughs) Okay. You know, uh, transformation of the mining industry is not a theoretical issue, it's a practical issue. Uh, When I talk about transformation, I always remind people that in 1987, the, a black person was not allowed to access a blasting certificate, which is a, a basic qualification for mining. Uh, a plastic was reserved for a scheduled person, which means a white person. Now, following the strike in 1987, blasting certificate was open for black persons. That's why every mining engineer in South Africa will be qualified post-1987. It's a product of a very long strike. Now, when you begin to see a number of those engineers coming through the industry, play different roles, you, do, you see, before you talk numbers, you see the change. Today, over 75% of miners are black in South Africa. People with plastic certificate, that's progress. Uh, In a research that we did recently, we discovered that all the major companies do not have less than 50% uh, black managers, all the major ones. And in assessing that we said, where is the change? We discovered that the change happens faster in the top Italians of management. And we asked the question, why is that the case? We discovered that it's because at that level you can recruit skills from somewhere else and beef up your numbers. But progress is being made. Number two, we looked into ownership. Uh, A a company called Exaro, which is a combination of a former state-owned company and a former black company merged together, has more than 30% black ownership. It is owned by, it it is managed by black managers. It is going to appoint a black female CEO in few weeks' time. To me, that is change. The, there is a first female uh, CEO in DBS, black and female. That's progress. Anglo Platinum. There is a female CEO. That is progress. I can give you that list. And managers were doing various roles in the in the industry. Are actually coming from a background that is not noticeable. I looked at companies. I talked about Exaro. If you look at a company that is fought every day, called Serati, it's the biggest coal supply of Eskom. It's a black company. When it is a black company, many people in society are going to say that is concentration. But if it's a white company that does that, it's a good business. And it requires bravery and ability to absorb the pains. I don't want to talk about many young companies in the mining industry that have emerged and established themselves. That change will be quantified, will be coming back and give you the quantity. After I suggested on Chair, that we must have an evening of be beneficiaries one evening we drink wine we talk together we look at them not as numbers but as human beings because only then will we appreciate the pro the progress we're making thank you very much
0: thank you honorable uh minister uh,
5: and tane munoa ssa te wa africa dzonga andavaku dzela ministera ko eh hela va 50% presentation of woman not just only one woman thank you
0: no uh, thank you honorable mutebula honorable members order honorable minister honorable members we have now come to the end of the question to the Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, Honorable Mantashe. I would like to thank the Honorable Minister Mantashe for availing himself to answer a question in the National Council of Provinces. Thank you, Honorable Minister.
1: Thank you, Madam
0: I can't,
1: I can't.
9: <laughs> <laughs>
0: thank you, thank you, honorable minister. We normally say we don't give praise for a fish for swimming, but we can always give credit where it's due when we see you and your DG Mukwena coming to account in the NCOP. We appreciate that. Thank you, uh, honorable members. Honourable Minister of Transport is on visual platform, Honourable Mbalula. I now call, welcome Honourable Mbalula, call him to respond to question 104 asked by Honourable Nita and my other Honourable Mama Deputy Chair Lucas will be taking over. Honourable Mbalula.
15: Uh, Thank you, Honorable Chair, and uh, Honorable Members. Um, The Comprehensive um, Maritime Transport um, Policy, referred to as uh, CMTP, was approved by Cabinet on the 10th, May 2017. After consultations with the relevant stakeholders, the CMTP further makes provision for the development of a coastal shipping agreement, which will be a key deliverable with regards to the implementation of the policy. The development of the Coastal Shipping Agreement will assist developing maritime trades within SADC region as a starting point toward promotion of an integrated maritime strategy for the continent and the African Union 2063 agenda. The Department of Transport through the Maritime Branch set up meetings with coastal southern countries to present uh, the draft concept paper on coastal shipping for their consideration and comments. The consultation were also intended to create relations with the aim of information sharing at a technical level and emphasize the importance of collaboration with regards to coastal shipping. The following embassies were consulted the Republic of Seychelles, the Republic of Namibia, the Republic of Tanzania, the Republic of Angola, the Republic of Madagascar, the Republic of Mauritius, and the Republic of Mozambique. The embassies were receptive to the initiative from the South African government of developing a coastal shipping agreement. It was agreed that the Sadak region will benefit from trading with one another through coastal shipping. It was, however, agreed that in terms of sequencing, so sequencing South African uh, must first develop its own national coastal shipping which is referred to a, a touch, as a carbon-touch regime that focuses to preserving and promoting the movement of South African port system cargo within South African Economic Exclusive Zone, WEZ, which will fast-track the the ship ownership and promote the ship registry regime that Black South Africans can benefit from. Thank you, Chair.
16: Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Minister. The first follow-up on this question will go to Honorable (coughs) Milita. Honorable Milita, are you on the platform? Uh, Sorry,
13: thank you very much, Chair, for quite an elaborate uh, response. And I'm quite happy, Chair, that there's quite a progress that the department is doing in terms of this very important objective. Chair, what now I would like to know so that we are able to make the uh, ministry accountable, uh, is the time frame how far are they to achieve this objective? Thank, Thank
15: you, Chair. Honorable
16: Minister. Honorable Minister, you may respond.
15: Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Chair. Um, the the timelines that we have outlined in terms of this um, process uh, is from twenty twenty three to twenty twenty four. We will be putting out uh, a tender. Uh, for the development of a coastal shipping strategy uh, for 2022-23. Uh, we'll set up a consultation program for maritime stakeholders uh, to present uh, the regional coastal shipping concepts for their respective um, countries in 2022 and 2023. And the first draft of the coastal shipping uh, Uh, should be finalized by 2023-2024. And the national agreement uh, will be signed and published for implementation as well in 2023 and 2024. And overall, we are looking at uh, 2024 to complete uh, this particular process. Thank you, uh, Chair.
16: Thank you, Honorable Minister. The next follow-up will be Ms. Cathy Labuskagni of the TA.
10: Chairpersons, Minister, what lessons, if any, did you learn from the European short sea shipping model that has energized and boosted this mode of transport to the point where it is responsible for 37% of all cargo movement? If not, why is the Minister's Department ignoring the fact that shipping is by far the most cost-effective way of moving cargo in the SADC region?
16: Over to you, Honorable Minister, for response. We are
15: not uh, ignoring any model, and uh, we're learning from everybody, as you would have seen in terms of the time frames. We're we're operating in the absence of policy, and uh, we believe in our own uh, strategy more than any other person, and we learn from from, from the past, And uh, we are not uh, opposed to the European uh, model uh, in any event, uh, House Chair. Thank you. Chair.
16: Deputy Chair, Minister, to assist you. The next follow-up will be
5: from Honourable Apleni of the EFF. The deputy
0: Chair. Yes, I'm presiding thank, now.
5: Thank you very much, Chair. Chair. Thank, you. thank you very much, Chair. We have communicated with the table that they must withdraw the follow-up from Honourable Apleni. Thank you.
16: Thank you very much, Honourable Matebula, or is it Nakensa? We will go to the 2 of the Freedom Front
7: Plus. Thank you, Honourable Chairman. Honourable Minister, uh, we witness with the recent Suez Canal blockage that years of underinvestment have left ports such as Durban and Cape Town ill-equipped to handle existing traffic. Are you aware of any ships that were turned away as a result of this? And if yes, what is the estimate amount of revenue lost as a result thereof?
16: Honourable Minister, you may respond as far as Far as we have the information, but we make provision that you can still send it also in writer.
15: uh We don't have uh, uh, any ships that uh, were turned away in our instance, and um, we, we can't come to the conclusion in terms of uh, the revenue loss because, in terms of our own situation, uh, we did not uh, 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 encounter this. Thank you, Chair.
16: Thank you very much, Honorable uh, Minister, Honorable Bratiseth. You have asked the question 95. And uh, we will now allow the Minister to respond to the question. You've got five minutes.
15: A new question? Yeah. Thank you. Um, more than 90% of vehicle license renewals have been uh, completed. Um, the online services provided by the city of Cape Town is an EFT payment into the city's bank account, followed by a manual licensing and postage of the disk. For those reasons, I will not readily support uh, such an approach. The Minister of Finance has recently provided uh, concurrence for the introduction of new online Uh, services uh, for the first time uh, in the license disk environment uh, to the department and the RTMC. Draft legislation in this regard will be published shortly for comments. The RTMC is implementing the online payment services, which will include the online vehicle license uh, renewal.
16: Okay,
3: you've concluded, Honourable Bratiset. You may follow up. Thank you to uh, you, Deputy Chairperson. I it's just the power has just gone down in my area, so I'm going to just stick with off-camera, if you don't mind. Uh, and thank you to the Minister for your response, Minister. I know that you're not willing to do this, but we need to be mindful of the fact that it's not only the fact that people are getting their vehicle licenses renewed, it's the productivity that it costs the country whilst they're standing in those queues, waiting and waiting and waiting. Minister, tech has the solutions for all the problems. We can have drones patrolling the highways. We can have barcoded number plates that are, are valid for the life of their vehicle and updated online. Application for renewal of Driver's licenses can largely be done online and remotely. Minister, please, will you take us into your confidence? Will you give us a commitment today as to what your departments can do to embrace technology and the fourth industrial revolution to make this easier for South Africans? And what portion of your budget are you prepared to allocate to the investigation of, on, of uh, te- technological solutions to the Department of Transport problems? Thank you.
15: Over to you, Honorable Minister. Um, The RTMC uh, and the department has been directed uh, to work uh, on the online system. And um, uh, we are, as of tomorrow, uh, as well in consultation with all our provinces and uh, as well as uh, the metros and the different municipalities. I have um, zoomed in in Gauteng, among others, to deal with the deficiencies of the system uh, as in uh, different uh, DLCs uh, in, the, in the province. And I want to replicate the model that we are going to implement for houting for the rest of the country. So tomorrow, as in Thursday, I've been seized with this matter i'm in consultation with all the provinces and i'm open to all suggestions that are going to make us uh, move with speed to ensure that uh, among others we do embrace uh, the fourth industrial revolution uh, i.t in ensuring that uh, we make uh, uh, the accessibility and the issuance of a driver's license easier and uh, we kill the queues and uh, make it uh, accessible to everyone. Um, So we we, we, we are dealing with that. I will not uh, give you the expenses at the present moment in terms of the budget, uh, because this is a concurrent function. And uh, among others, once I have finished with the consultation in the next coming weeks, I will be in a position to make that known uh, to everybody and also account uh, to parliament uh, in relation uh, to this.
16: Thank you, you, Honorable Minister. The next follow-up will be asked by
17: Honorable Khaim, Khaim. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Deputy Chair. Greetings to you and uh, greetings to the Honorable Minister and uh, Honorable Members. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Minister, for the response. Uh, What I would like to know are the differences, uh, Honorable Minister, between the online services as provided by the city of Cape Town and the online payment system that is introduced by the RTMC. Thank you, Honorable Minister, and thank you, Honorable Chile. Thank you,
16: Honorable High
15: Honorable Minister. Yes, uh, there are differences. Um, the city of Cape Town the system uh, is not on um, It's not linked to EMATIS, um, and uh, it works uh, on uh, via SAP, and um, the City of Cape Town system is working on the. Uh, once the client is actually locked into the into the city's website, uh, they will pro- they will be provided with various uh, various options ranging from paying water, lights, and uh, renewal of licenses, etc. And uh, when renewing. Uh, a motor vehicle license the city has to process it manually by going to the energy system. And that uh, the city has two uh, separate systems, the one working via SAP and the one working uh, via uh, energy system. On receipt of money for renewing um, a motor vehicle license, uh, the money goes into the city's bank account. The processing thereof, um, the city will lock onto the inities to print and post the license uh, to the uh, to the applicant. So, in the main, the other one is inities, and the city works uh, operate on SAP. And so, that is the major difference uh, between uh, between the two. So, uh, that is it, uh, uh, Honourable High, the difference. Thank you,
16: Honourable Minister. Can I just uh, uh, understand whether Honourable Nguesi is on the platform if if not we will continue and then we will uh, go to honorable cylinder of the eff
18: and amputasya miango jiango basi kunda ogopa kwa izindawo eningi zisema pengine lano watu wa siasa izindawo zasema pengine ika kura kwa zulitali nombani mbali endipindezebe nkinga yokuona tangu network futhi siasa kunda lano asinazo wa siasa nazo izinombulo zemukopo le online um, <laughs> um Licensing renewal is also a bunch of bandabas map hanging, the manchapping Yabangosa, Yalababa in Osana Seabong.
16: Thank you, Honorable Lutuli, Honorable Minister.
15: Um, rural areas with no electricity uh, will not be um, uh, scrapping the manual uh, system, so we are not uh, forcing everybody to. Uh, oblige and uh, to follow uh, the online system. And uh, among other things that we're looking at in perfecting the system is also the walk-ins, particularly in the TLCs where people will not go online, even in urban areas, Uh, they should be permitted in that regard. So this is what uh, we are sorting out, but uh, they will not be scrapped. We are simply embracing the fourth industrial revolution and at the same time making it easier for those who can to be able to access the system online. And uh, hybrid system will work uh, to cater uh, for uh, rural uh, areas uh, uh, deputy chair. Thank you very much.
16: Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Minister. That dealt with uh, question 95. We will now go over to question 105 by Honorable Ms. M. L. Mamarekhani
15: of the ANC. In order to facilitate the resettlement of the households in the railway reserve on the central line in Cape Uh Town, the Department of Transport will be entering into an implementation protocol with key role players inclusive of the National Department of Human Settlement and Public Works and Infrastructure. The Western Cape Provincial Department of Human Settlement and Transport and Public Works, City of Cape Town Metropolitan Municipality, and the Housing Development Agency. The implementation protocol will drive interventions in working together in securing alternative settlements to clear the line for the rehabilitation. The department has appointed the Housing Development Agency as implementation agent. Uh, to manage establishment of temporary residential areas and the resettlement of households residing on the Praza Railway reserves. The financial implications for the department would be to evade the funding for the project management fees for the implementation of the resettlement project. The estimated project management fees over a three-year period amounts to 45 million rands. The department will provide for the project management costs related to the, settlement, to the resettlement and will be entering into service level agreement with the Housing Development Agency. The process of eviction is planned, and a court order date has been set for 7 May 2021, which has passed, and 27 July 2021, respectively, to give notice to the residents. On two sections of land. The Housing Development Agency is in the process of acquiring three parcels of land to build 22,050 temporary structures following the granting of the eviction order. Plans are in place, a security and asset protection plan as well. A concerted approach has been developed, which, which led to the development and creation of an integrated security plan, which was launched, uh, which we launched uh, on the 16th September 2020. The plan was informed by intelligence driven operations, security, etc. Um, The corporate security plan, this plan includes the people's responsibility to protect. That was approved by the board in December 2021. A detailed security deployment plan has been developed in February 2021. A key pillar on the corporate security implementation plan include the insourcing of 3,100 protection officials, armed response guards, and control room operators. Stakeholders in Cape Town have been engaged on the corporate security implementation plan, and the community's role has been explained to community leaders in Philippi Langanyanga Kailicha, Captain Slip, in January 2021. In addition to the 16 corridors, Currently in operation nationally, ten high priority corridors will be rehabilitated. Hello. With work already started in Hello. April... Honourable Chamberlain, can you mute, please? Honourable Unchavelein, mute, please? ...of these lines. RASA will establish a fully-fledged project management office. The recovery plan of the top ten corridors is aimed at the highest number of commuters having access to affordable transport and the resumption of services to have improved availability, availability, reliability, safety, and security. The rollout plans for the corridors selected are aligned to the extent of the damage and required time to recover and rehabilitate, as well as the rollout of the security strategy that will ensure uh, uh, ensure that recovered infrastructure is not exposed to further destruction. The corridors identified in the Western Cape are the following: Cape Town, Kaialega, Captain's and Captain's Clip, Cape Town Strand, and Cape Town Simon's Town. Thank you.
16: Thank Chair. you, Honourable Minister. I'm sorry for the disruption. There, uh, we will now give the follow-up question to Honourable maha you. <coughs>
9: Uh, thanks honorable deputy chairperson Ma'am me... thanks honorable deputy chairperson and let me thank thank you, you honorable yeah mm-hmm. thanks deputy chairperson can you hear me
16: you are audible my dear and you may continue if you okay, have thank a problem you very you much. Much. okay
9: OK, let me thank you, Honorable Minister, for your response to my question. Honorable Minister, rail commu- commuting is the most affordable mode of transport for the poor and the working class. The fact that trains are running in some of the corridors on, on other transports. Honorable Minister. When is the earliest time for the for, for for the for the department that can be able to open the corridors that are still closed? I thank you, Deputy
15: Chairperson.
16: Thank you, Honourable Member, Honourable Minister. You may respond.
15: Uh, thank you, um, Honourable um Let me first uh, say this in the form of a prelude to giving you the details of the opening of corridors. Um, For the first time in many years, it was the first time that um, uh, the corridors of Prasa were shut down during the lockdown. Trains have been operating with the difficulties of uh, facing uh, vandalism, uh, stealing of copper cables, and all of that. And uh, even uh, dilapidated and vandalized uh, trains, sometimes operating without doors and windows. For the first time uh, last year, because of the total shutdown, we, we then uh, uh, shut down train services. And um, once we had done that, um, a number of stations even substations were vandalized too, and uh, the 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 vandalism also went on to cut the cables, and uh, which means for us to get the services of the trains back, we need to fix those uh, uh, issues. The cable theft that has happened during the lockdown, and then to a certain extent, also fix um, the stations that were vandalized. So recovery of these corridors uh, happened during the hard lockdown, and uh, thieves did as they wish uh, during that period uh, because there was no security to mend uh, the lines. So in terms of the recovery plan, uh, Mabupani Pretoria Uh, we are envisaging that uh, the recovery of this line will happen around, uh, will be complete, the work will be complete, and the line will be open uh, as of the 4th of November, 2021. Pinarsport, Pretoria, 28 February, 2022. Salisville, Pretoria, 28 February, 2022, and so on. Uh, And then Pretoria, Jamiston, Lerala, Johannesburg, Davidson, Uh, we've got about 11 of uh, these corridors which will be recovered uh, up until March uh, 2022, which service will be fully operational in all the stations. And the major work has has been undertaken in Mabupani and the Central Line, including the question I've just answered now uh, of the people who are encroaching in the railway lines that were moving for better settlement and so on, working with other departments. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable
16: Minister. The next follow up will be Honorable Detoy on the virtual
7: platform. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Minister, you seem to be on top of figures uh, because you mentioned that uh, 45 million Rand will be spent over three years for the project management. Um, for moving the people to another uh, suitable area. Minister, why didn't your department act timelessly and engage with law enforcement agencies and the courts to prevent this occupation and trespassing and encroaching from taking place and um, to have the perpetrators evicted in spite of the fact that we were in a lockdown situation because the law enforcement agencies were working overtime And by not acting, your department is complicit to the acts of horror that's taking place, of infrastructure being vandalized and plundered and possible new lines that need to be built with taxpayers' money. Minister, how much money will it cost to bring these stations that were plundered and vandalized and the lines that were cut back to standard and to its full former glory? Thank you, Chair.
16: Minister, you
7: may
15: respond. Um, uh, thank you very much, uh, Chair. Uh, the 45 million is for the project uh, of removing uh, uh, people, uh, particularly for new human settlement. Um, and then um, let me clarify the point, Mr. Honorable, to do it, about uh, occupation. Occupation and encroachment in the railway lines happened many years ago. And uh, nothing was done about it. And at that time, Prasa had uh, a full component of private security companies. The very same security companies that are telling you a story that uh, uh, all and everything else happened, broke loose at Prasa because of the discontinuation of their contracts. All of these things happened during that period. And um, what we are doing and what we have been doing in, uh, in the past one and a half years since we came here was to fix that. And we are fixing that and uh, we are going to sort it out. And one of the things like I prefer to is the dealing with the occupation and the resettling the people. Let me tell you the strategy of why people settle on the railway lines. You've got uh, a big movement of people who move from rural areas to urban areas uh, looking for greener pastures and employment. And one of the the cities that people go for uh, greener pastures and, and, and better life and all of that and looking for work is Cape Town. So these people who are settling on the railway lines are coming from the Eastern Cape, majority of them. So settling on the railway lines and encroaching, they start by encroaching and then settling on the railway line uh, in numbers. And uh, what it means is that government in terms of the law is obligated to look for uh, human settlement for these people. And that is what has happened. And some of these people are backyard, what you may characterize as backyard dwellers in the different uh, areas in of Cape Town. So they move from the backyard and then they settle on the railway lines to attract the attention. Good question you are asking is, where is Prasa security when all of that happened? It was absent. Totally absent. Because with the first settlement of uh, seeing people encroaching and settling on this area's work by security was supposed to be done to evict those people. But it was allowed, like I said, there is no management and uh, uh, which give qualification to the point we make from time to time that uh, Prasa is a broken place that we are fixing. So we are fixing that. Where will the, how much will it cost And to build all of this, it ran into billions of rents and uh, millions of rents uh, uh, in terms of uh, ensuring that uh, we we bring back the corridors, we resettle people, and uh, we are confident that by next year, all of this would have happened. By now, all of this will be in order. We're interrupted by uh, COVID-19 because we're, we're to stop working. On uh, recovering the line of a uh, central line and resettling people uh, because of the pandemic. So that is what has delayed our work. But we're back on track now. And we're even better, stronger, and well organized. We've got the GRIP we've got the board that is seized with this matter. This past weekend, once more, I've had a workshop to look at the progress with uh, the board and the management and uh, this this this, uh, this dates that uh, we we have agreed to uh, have been revised. And uh, we are hard at work uh, with the management and the board to ensure that uh, uh, the train services for the people of South Africa are back on track and they are back on operation. Thank you, Chair.
16: I allowed you, Minister, uh, to to, to take a little bit of time because I think it's good that we clarify these issues. Honorable Moulitsane of EFA, for the next follow-up.
6: Honorable. Uh, thank you thank you deputy chair Minister having spoken about fixing vandalized stations and railway lines specifically on railway cables that are stolen from time to time is there any permanent solutions to prevent that thank you
16: honourable minister
15: The permanent solution to, to to prevent that is not going to stop. Uh, uh, you know, it is. It, it, this is linked to crime syndicates. The permanent solution to that is a is a is a model we have a, a adopted of a security plan implemented twenty four seven, and at the same time, guarding our lines and protecting our corridors. That is the permanent solution. This is what we're working on now, and uh, using all sorts of means at our disposal, human capital, and at the same time, uh, capacity in terms of IT, uh, drones, which are linked to the integrated strategy, um, and to be able to detect from an IT uh, point of view and report to the war room of uh, security, whenever lines have been uh, vandalized and so on. So we recover the line, we protect. We recover the line, we protect. So that is how the, the plan is going. So you should uh, see this movement of progress uh, by September uh, this year, because we are hard at work as we speak now. And uh, so you will see that in the different corridors. So we recover the plan and the security protect. And towards the end of the year, there's going to be a big movement of trains operational, and all of that. So uh, that's how we look at this. And uh, the, the the only solution is a workable uh, security plan that has totally been absent at Prasa. Prasa has just been uh, a company that teach, uh security contracts to people and individual companies, which has not assisted the company in the past year. All of that has been reviewed. Now we are focused on a comprehensive plan, working with agencies of the state, uh, SAPs, and everybody else to uh, install security permanently at Prasa. Thank you very much.
16: Thank you, Honorable Minister. The last follow-up on this question will be by Honorable Steve B. Schmidt.
6: Thank you, Honorable Deputy Chairperson and Honorable Minister. Honorable Minister, um, we heard a lot of um, reactive uh, responses uh, from you and, uh, you know, in some instances in the response also blame-shifting. Uh, sometimes you, you can't help to, to think that it might be part of um, the ANC's ungovernability campaign, but uh, let's leave it there. Uh, Honourable Minister, um, I would like to know in terms of a proactive response, uh, what will you do to ensure that this do not happen again and that it is also prevented in other areas uh, throughout the country? Thank you.
16: Honourable Minister, may I respond?
15: To ensure that it doesn't happen again, it means we are implementing uh, a policy turnaround at Brasa. And at the same time, we're, we're implementing uh, uh, plans that uh, are sustainable and that they are not based on shifting of people in positions. And then we're brought at Brasa, uh, which we did not have for a considerable uh, period. Uh, a Brasa, as you would know, We now have a board and uh, we will be appointing a number of managers to bring this, to to sustain this stability. We've appointed the group CEO, quite a well versatile individual uh, who is assembling his team there at Brasa to ensure that uh, all of these things are reversed. So there's a lot of work that has been covered at the present moment. And uh, I think as you do your oversight, you will attest to some of the things I've spoken about that have been implemented as we speak. Part uh, of the issues we are dealing with, I've been a minister here. Uh, now in July, I will be minister for two years at Transport. I've been a minister in less than a year, uh, in less than two years. This department have had the change of ministers and then has also have had, at PRASA in particular, change of boards. Uh, it is after how many uh, time that we have a CEO? After Lucky Montana, it's only now that we have appointed a permanent CEO. We have had how many CEOs at Prasa? More than six acting people there. It can tell you it's chaos. Now we have done away with that chaos. There is a semblance of organisation, and uh, we are looking at uh, recovering that place and making it a company that uh, will have a a mandate of ensuring that uh, it gives a good service to the people of this country. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Huh?
16: I'm
9: sorry. Have
5: you. There due, due to networks
16: Yes, I am. I am back. I'm sorry, but I honorable ngwenya can continue because I think there is a problem with my network. I, I just wanted to, to to call this question of ninety-seven because honorable Nguyen is not present. But the minister is there, so you can respond. And Mangwena, you can then continue with the follow ups, despite Honorable. You know,
19: Thanks, uh, Deputy Chair. Uh, honorable members, we so are going to continue with our follow up questions.
16: Can we, can, we oh, no, can we first get the response? Now, can we first get the response? 97 of Honorable Ngwezi, and then you can just take a question from there. Okay, is it Honorable Ngwezi present? Since he's not present, the Minister can respond to 97 and then you can take the follow-up questions.
19: Okay, Okay. thanks uh, Deputy uh, Chair. Uh, Honorable uh, Minister, can you please respond on the question that have asked by Honorable
15: Ngwezi? Yes, thank you very much. um, uh, House Chair. It is important that I indicate that uh, the aviation and road freight are the most important subsectors of transport that require serious interventions to improve transformation and broad based Black economic empowerment status. To date, my department has been using various mechanisms and instruments to implement this topical agenda of government. These are just to name a few. Firstly, the department has been and is still implementing the transformation and the triple PEE using the integrated transport sector triple PEE charter that was gazetted in August 2009 by the Minister of Trade and Industry and Competition. This framework focuses on eight subsectors of. Transport, which are aviation, bus, taxi, freight, forwarding and clearing, maritime, rail, road, freight, and public sector. Secondly, the integrated transport sector triple PEE charter has been supported by an institution called the Transport Sector triple PEE Charter Council, which ensured implementation, monitoring, and evaluation of this framework. Uh, happens. Thirdly, women empowerment of the transport sector is beheaded added by the South African Network Women in Transport, Sanwit. This network forum has always been funded by the department since it was launched in 2008. Various provincial structures of Sanwit exist. Fourthly, the licensing mechanism is applied in the aviation industry to ensure compliance of transformation and triple BEE when issuing license to airlines to operate. Fifthly, the branch Civil Aviation of the Department of Transport, DOT, is functionally responsible for driving aviation transformation agenda. This is one of the flagship projects through which the DOT seeks to make meaningful sectoral contributions to the vision of the National Development Plan uh, 2030. By 2018-19, financial year, the DOT has developed the draft National Civil Aviation Transformation Strategy. Its objectives is to provide a perspective and a platform for applying in a coherent manner existing levers which are transformative in nature and orientation, with a view to accelerate aviation transformation. Furthermore, it seeks to serve as an overarching framework for, for the DOT to set the trajectory uh, of aviation transformation, uh, to set the trajectory for transformation, the, the trajectory that should be taken, uh, uh, that, that should be followed uh, carefully, coordinated and cons- consolidated implementation plan. Its, or, its originality is the flight plan and on four strategic pillars. Uh, pillar one, uh, institute's a uh, governance protocol pillar two increase access to investment to facilitate capacity pillar three increase access to skills development pillar four increase access to entrepreneurial capital um, and uh, to international uh, markets opportunities include increase a number of black pilots technicians and engineers manufacture and repair aircraft Aviation training programs, manufacturing of helicopters, rotor and fixed-wing equipment, and rotary-type aircraft engine, uh, just to name a few. Thank you very much, Chair. Unmute,
16: Honorable
8: Anguena. Chairperson, I have a follow-up question. Thank uh, you,
19: uh, Honorable Minister. I want to check that, is it a Honorable Ngwezi present in terms of the follow-up
16: question?
8: I have Honorable a follow-up you. question, sir. Honorable Nguyezi
16: is not present, Honorable uh, right I Thank you,
19: Deputy. Okay, I'll, I'll continue with the next follow-up question from Honorable Ryder.
4: Thank you, House Chair. Um, Minister, as we contemplate an industry that has been brought to its knees following the restrictions on movement internationally, we in South Africa find ourselves dependent on a national carrier that has been brought to its knees by a deployment. Minister, in transforming this industry, will you learn from the mistakes made at ESKIM and retain sufficient skills, regardless of race, to ensure skills transfer? Or will you be pursuing your transformation agenda based purely on skin color and perhaps even importing a few uh, Cuban pilots? Thank you.
19: Thank you, uh, honorable Rider, honor minister.
15: Uh, honorable Ryder is uh, been a typical uh, politician and uh, bringing issues to a very important subject of uh, transformation i don't see like honorable mataash have said how does transformation defeat uh, growth of the economy uh, because uh, this economy is about inclusivity and uh, uh, this economy is about uh, Uh, recognizing the historically disenfranchised and uh, bringing them to the fore. And the fact that uh, there is dominance, you know, of a particular race in terms of skilling, and uh, you only have a drop in the ocean of uh, women and Africans and black in general in terms of uh, aviation sector tells a story. So it does not mean transformation, annihilation of one race and then uh, Not working on skills retention. We're talking of skills retention, but bringing in the numbers of historically disadvantaged. And this is what the transformation is all about. And uh, in this instance, the national carrier, in terms of uh, its demise, as you would have said, it is probably an account of uh, mismanagement more than any other thing, uh, rather than uh, transformation. Uh, In this particular instance, it is important uh, to recognize uh, employment equity uh, is key in our efforts towards uh, transformation. The majority in this country are Blacks, and we cannot ignore uh, the majority uh, of our people. It was not a catered deployment, but uh, corruption that destroyed the SOEs. Uh, and the objectives of what uh, we want uh, to achieve. Uh, catered deployment, which we practice even as a DA, but you don't call it the deployment. Uh, you call it something else. Uh, catered deployment does not mean uh, no skills retention. Uh, it does not mean catered deployment that uh, uh, you simply source people without skills. And deploy them in the sector. It means the advanced cadres, uh, the well-trained uh, people academically and who are skilled. I will not talk about the Cuban issue because I think uh, you are simply vulgarizing the point. Uh, because Cubans, just like uh, you know, the skills that were attracting this country from Philippines and other countries. Uh, the uk germany and all of that you don't say anything about it Uh, the only difference is because you've got an ideological disposition with cuba Uh, and uh, that small island uh, you hate it so much that everything that comes out of it you think it is communist It's the best country in the world that it is perfect when it comes to education and uh, we have seen that in terms of doctors. And uh, we've seen that in terms of engineers. And uh, we shouldn't be apologetic about that. We do have other countries, even in the West, who have provided sort of skills and support to this country. And that is why we've adopted an approach of skills retention. It is not a permanent feature of our democratic state. It is simply a feature that seeks to assist us to get somewhere but over time, we will be having our own doctors. We'll be having our own engineers, just like those that we have. who will be prepared to work in the rural areas and everywhere else in the country. And that is what we need to do. So uh, we need to understand that. So uh, Chair, we are implementing transformation in the context of those pillars that are actually uh, uh, articulated. Uh, in the presentation I've made earlier on in answering the question. Thank you very much.
19: Thanks very much, uh, Minister. Now uh, I'll call uh, Honourable Chuli for the follow-up question.
18: Uh, you eh sine airport esemkhuze esineminyaka yakhiwa eh nesigidigidize imali eyifakiwe kuyona kodwa ayipheli siphinde sibe ne airport esolundo siphinde sibe ne airport ese Newcastle umnyango wakho obuke ka sengathi awinikezile eh ukunakekelwa nokwinaxa eh umbuzo wami ke kwena umphathiswa ukuthi ene yiziphi izi izi izinhlelo onazo ukuthi Abantu Abega in Dizaligi and Gemiga Evzuli, Bagazo, Bonagala Beba, Abani Babanda Babata Les in Diza in no Pepilim Slan, Babi Babantu, Abashaila is in disa gbasia bona uguzabandaba pete is in pepilum abe a babala el lot, and abashaila baninki bez in diza, abebala el lot, you Mr. <inaudible> Honourable
19: Minister, can you please reply?
15: Which at the present moment we this is Mr. process of arranging for funding, 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 in terms of bazaar, uh, but uh, one of the things we are looking at is to ensure that um, uh, we we are able to build what we call an academy, uh, which will support the disadvantaged. And uh, and uh, We have not, uh, as yet, you know, uh, concretized that. But when I took over from former minister and Nzimande, we agreed to work together with higher education to invest in this sort of academy, because uh, they don't have support in terms of resources because it is very expensive to educate a pilot. Uh, that is why Uh, it is only those who can afford who are able to produce pilot, but not because there is no skill. Uh, It is because they cannot afford. It is over 200,000 rent that you need to basically educate a pilot over a period of of time. So we have made a firm commitment now uh, to support our pilots and all of that. When it comes to uh, the airports of Mahama, those are private, privately owned uh, uh, airports. Uh, AXA will be assisting some of these uh, private uh, airports. And uh, like, for instance, the airport in Limpopo, which we have not, uh, uh, Limpopo International, is called, um, it is not under AXA. And uh, there are many such airports that you see around the country that are not under us, uh, but at the same time, we will be working with the private sector to ensure that Ndjengbausi Choma, as we speak, with some of these efforts we assist in the completion of the construction work that has been undertaken as we speak. Thank you, Chair.
19: Thank you, uh, Minister. Now I would like to invite Honorable Dango for the follow-up question.
8: Honorable Uh, Dango.
7: Thank you very much, uh, House Chair.
8: Thank you very much, Minister, for a comprehensive response to the questions that have been posed. Minister, in the new normal or the post-COVID period, has consideration been given to uh, during this period to the possibility of it having a negative impact on the national civil, uh, civil aviation strategy? Thank you very much. Honourable
15: uh, Minister, Thank you, Chair. Uh, Honourable uh, Dango. Uh, yes, in the new or post-COVID uh, environment, uh, proposed interventions uh, such as the National Civil Aviation Transformation Strategy uh, will most definitely will most definitely be affected as the outbreak of uh, the COVID-19 uh, has uh, shaped our current. Uh, practices uh, and customs in a way that is different from what has been done uh, before. Uh, There is a pragmatic view that states that COVID-19 is not only uh, a pandemic, but uh, endemic, which means that it is likely to be with us for quite some time uh, to come. In light of the foregoing, the sound outlook into the future or to embrace the fact that whilst COVID has caused fundamental uh, setbacks in political, and economic, social, technological, etc., um, uh, it has also presented new growth opportunities uh, to exploit. Therefore, uh, in this context, uh, it provides possibilities to rapidly embrace and take advantages of technological opportunities. I thank you, Chair. Thanks very much, uh, Honourable Minister.
19: Uh, Honourable Minister, now we are going to Question Number One O Six that have asked by Honourable M Honourable M K M One O Six. Yes. Thank you, Chair.
15: The Moloto Road Project comprises several road improvement work packages uh, spread across the Gauteng, Mpumalanga, and Limpopo provinces. Uh, the Mpumalanga and Limpopo sections of the Moloto Road were promulgated as national roads in 2015. The Gauteng portion was only promulgated in 2020. The Gauteng provincial section of Moloto Road. Is 48.6 kilometers in length. This portion remained under the jurisdiction of the Kaoteng Province until until 5th June 2020, with Sandral being the implementing agent of the muloto road improvements. Due to Gauteng Province funding constraints, the design work had to be halted. Design work has now commenced in earnest after the June 2020 transfer to Sandra and it is expected that some portions of the road will be in construction the beginning of 2022, with completion of construction towards the end of 2024. The Mpumalanga provincial section of Moloto Road is 54.89 kilometers in length, the upgrade of the entire length and breadth of the road to triggered legislative environment processes to be followed, exception for, uh, for forced intersections that received and were prioritized due to safety concerns and for which design processes were accelerated for immediate implementation. The major upgrades of these intersections commenced in January 2017 and were completed in December 2018, before I even came in as the Minister of Transport under Minister Blayton Zimande. The remaining section of the route has been unbundled into five work packages that will be implemented in phases over the next two to three years. The first of the five remaining work packages were handed over to a new contractor in February 2021 with physical construction Expected to commence in May 2021 post the three month mobilization period. The Limpopo provincial section of, of Muloto Road is 37 kilometers in length. The rural section, which comprises the section between Siabuso and Marble Hall, approximately 23 kilometers, did not require environmental approvals uh, implementation. The construction works commenced in January 2019 with the original completion date of May 2019. Unfortunately, the main contractor was placed in provisional business rescue on 15 May 2019. This severely constrained cash flow of appointed contractor resulted in slow or no progress on site. Through the business rescue process, the appointed contractor was rescued and were able to resume construction activities in September 2020 due to impact of COVID-19 lockdown restrictions. The new completion date has since been revised to 31 October 2021. The remaining advanced section has been divided into three work packages that will be implemented in phases over the next two to three years. The first of the three remaining work packages was handed over to the contractor in February 2021, with physical construction expected to commence in May 2021. Thank you, Chair.
19: Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable um, Muyama, can you please?
12: Uh, you buham 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 bham bham yes, ma'am. Uh, let me also express my uh, gratitude to the comprehensive manner in which uh, the minister has responded to to the to the Molotov, uh, uh, road. Indeed, it has been uh, a headache, I believe, uh, honourable minister. Uh, we, we are mindful of the fact that there are people that are also uh, still staging a sitting. Uh, to try to bring to the fore the the, the railway part of the road, but uh, we fully understand the complexity and the budgetary constraints that we are facing. My 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 question on our minister is, 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 is on the the kilometres that we have set that uh, they have been completed between twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. So, given the fact that this road had uh, uh, accumulated uh, or acquired the status of the killer Road. Has there, the question is whether, uh, has there been any improvement in the level of safety on the parts of the muloto Road that has already been upgraded? Thank you, Honorable Minister.
19: Thank you, oh, Honorable Mima. Honorable Minister. Now I would like to, to call Mr. D. Ryder,
12: for the follow-up question. Uh chat the minister must respond
16: first.
12: So
19: can the minister respond to the question, the follow-up question from Honorable Miman? Honorable Minister.
15: Honorable Frigilem Balula. Yes, 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 Chair. Uh, thank you. Yes, can you hear me? I'm in, I'm in.
19: Yes, I can hear you, honorable minister. Can you please
15: respond to the question from honorable Muyiman? uh, uh it, is, it is still early days to say that uh, uh, um, uh, 573, um, uh, because it has just been handed over to Gauteng, and I launched that particular project, uh, the the extension of the Moloto Road uh, to connect the three provinces. Uh, We've given a detailed account uh, in terms of the work that has been done on the site of Limpopo, that includes the part of Siabusa and Marble Hall. There is still outstanding work, as you can see in terms of our presentation. A lot of work in terms of uh, the the outer packages that have been allocated is going to commence now. And the part of the road in terms of Pumalanga and Mpopo has been completed. The Houten part, 573, which is defined as the killer road, it is the one that uh, the designs have been undertaken. And at the same time, they will be completed And the work is going to commence in earnest uh, from 2022 onwards. It is a work that is going to create about 12,000 new jobs. And then it will be complete towards the end of 2024. And that is what uh, is going to happen uh, because it's the biggest. And that is why it is called the killer road. So part of the work that uh, will be undertaken in relation to that. uh, will ensure that there is a reduction of fatalities by ensuring that uh, we widen and improve on the intersections, uh, which is a major, major, major problem there. And then uh, the roundabouts, uh, the roundabouts will also be successfully uh, improved and the line markings will also be emphasized. At the present moment, that road is too narrow. And all of that, and uh, most of the people between in the areas of KwaMthanga are working in Pretoria, and then uh, and then most of the people commute between KwaMthanga from Pumalanga to Pretoria. So the Moloto Road, as it is, it is a it's a project of three provinces. When I came in as the minister taking over from Minister Zimande, was to first track with Prime, Prime, minister, Prime Premier Makura. Uh, to ensure that we finalize the agreement and the, the Minister of Transport in Gauti. We have signed, it's been agreed. The road is now in the hands uh, of Sandra. So we're looking forward uh, to a perfect road in the next coming years. On the rail side, uh, uh, Honorable Moiman, uh, you just did a touch and go. But because of time, I won't dwell on that. Uh, we will still go back and look at this matter. Uh, It is still with us, we assist with it. But at the present moment, we don't have the resources to undertake that matter. It involves a whole lot of issues, feasibility study, treasury, and us agreeing to, one way or the other, uh, whether or not we can have a branch line uh, of railway uh, between Pretoria and uh, Mpumalanga and uh, alongside the road, Muloto Road itself because it was initially conceptualized like that, but it did not materialize because there was never an agreement between Treasury and uh, the Department of Transport in relation to the feasibility study and the rollout of the of, of, of the railway network. But it was promised to the people of Mpumalanga, but it was not effected uh, and implemented. Thank you very much, Chair.
19: Thanks very much, uh, Honorable Minister. Now I would like uh, to call uh, Honorable M.S. Mulezzane to do the follow-up question.
6: Uh, Honorable Mulezzane. Thank you, I'll share. I just want the minister just to assure us that uh, the construction of Moloto Corridor is benefiting the, the community that stays in the towns that are closer to it to, to by creating jobs for them. Thank you.
15: Yes, House, House Chair. Um, Honorable Minister,
19: is it finished?
15: Yeah, no. I, to answer the question of Honorable Muletan, uh our approach whenever we do construction, because of we're doing construction of uh, new roads among communities, our emphasis is for those, uh, the construction work we're doing of new roads to benefit the nearby communities. So I went uh, to uh, Guam uh, to unveil this particular uh, uh, signing of uh, handing over, of the road to Sandran, I was there. And then I addressed the communities. And at the same time, there is an agreement uh, which we are implementing all over the country to bring in SMES to benefit also. And then uh, to also bring in uh, the training of young people uh, in the construction of the new roads, uh, as it were. So the 12,000 job opportunities we're talking about it is a it is a it is a it is a multifaceted a, approach of SMMEs and also skilling and bringing in young unemployed youth uh, in that in this particular project. So we're looking at 12,000 uh, over a period of time being employed in this project. So most definitely yes, big yes, uh, Honourable Muletzani. Uh, we bringing in communities in the construction of the new road between Pretoria and Pumalanga and the Houten Part Five Seven Three kilo Road, quote unquote, uh, into the project itself. Thank you very much.
9: Thanks
19: very much, uh, Honourable Minister. I would like to call the I would I would like to call Honourable Joy for
7: follow up question. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Minister, in 2015, um, Minister Depew Peters announced in a budget speech that the upgrading of the R573 Moloto Road would get an estimate investment of over a billion Rand. Now, how much money has been paid up to now for this road? What is the total length? And what is the estimate completion cost for this project? And if you could indicate if this is in par with uh, similar road construction that is taking place. Thank you, Minister. Honourable Minister.
19: Honourable Minister, can you please respond?
15: Honourable Figil Mbalula. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, I don't have the, um, uh, the figures, but uh, we'll come back to the Honorable Member in writing to give you the total uh, figures, uh, but it runs over a billion, right? um, uh Yes, uh, so I, I, I will exactly do that and uh, uh, give you the total figures, but it runs over a billion, a billion rand investment into this project particularly the 573 uh, of the housing part, which has been handed over now to Sandra. Thank you very much.
19: Thanks, Honorable Minister. Um, I would like to call a Honorable Borsho for the follow-up question. Thank Honourable
10: you, Chair. Bishop.
14: Yes, I'm ready. If you are ready, Chair, Uh, Minister, the Monota Corridor Project has been touted for over a decade. And over 18 million has been wasted with absolutely nothing to show for it. And today you have given us timelines for when what construction will be completed. In view of this, Minister, should you miss any of these um, deadlines, will you undertake to stand in and take responsibility for every fatality that is caused on this road. Minister, just cheek in the tongue, tongue, um, tongue in the cheek, sorry. You are very famous for missing deadlines. So I hope with this mulatto road, you don't miss any deadlines like you have now done with the etol. Um, question. Thank you. Thanks, Honourable Member, Honourable Minister.
19: Honourable Minister Pigilembalula.
15: There are no deadlines we have uh, missed on the Moloto Road. Um, uh, Under my stewardship as a minister, I've gone to uh, unveil formally, the handover uh, to Gauteng, and I facilitated the smooth handover of the road to Gauteng, and I've committed uh, to a five-year period, which it has been implemented as we speak. And then uh, I've inherited work in progress and work done from the part of uh, Mpumalanga, of this corridor, a lot of work has been covered. And uh, only in one part, which is, uh, Limpopo where there was a default which I've explained because of a company involved was in business rescue and uh, that company has been rescued and is back at work and uh, we're looking at the completion of that work by October so the only part that was remaining was how And and uh, uh, with regard to it it's not as easy as you put it uh, honorable member uh, but it's not a question at hand. I take it as a sweeping statement, uh, so I, I simply will regard it as such. Nothing else but provocation. Uh, so, if you want us to debate and you want to understand why there was a delay with regard to the finalization, I've said I will account about that, and I've said it in public. And uh, wait for that moment Then you can speak. That uh, I'm uh, a master of. Uh, 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 not honoring um, uh, deadlines. So 2024 end uh, of it is the deadline for the completion of uh, 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 R573 that connect uh, the last part of Mulotok Road uh, to Pumalanga. Thank you very much.
19: Thanks very much, uh, Honorable Minister. Honourable Minister, we are continuing with uh, our our question. Uh, the question that uh, is is next is question number ninety six on Honourable uh, Mr. Chi Brutuch from DA. Question number six. Ninety six. 90- thank you very
15: much. Central 90- has been guided. Gathered- by its Horizon 2030 strategy and transformation policy to address challenges that relate to project sites, invasions, and demands for radical economic transformation. I need to hasten to mention that Sandra, like all organs of state, is enjoyed by the constitution and rule of law uh, to adhere to the relevant procurement legislation. In this instance, the Public Procurement Policy Framework Act prescribes the 90 to 10 ratio. The Transformation Policy's 14-point plan has proven to be very instrumental in creating a platform for key local stakeholders to interact with central projects to ensure communities are mobilized, businesses are organized, and stakeholders all given equal say in project uh, delivery. The project liaison committees that Sandra has set up for projects enable the main contractor to work with the various stakeholders to ensure that project packages are inclusive and equitably spread across suppliers uh, of different sizes. Prioritizing suppliers from targeted areas while not shutting the door and to suppliers from the rest of South Africa. PLC members are not allowed to evaluate or adjudicate bids or participate in bids due to their natural conflict. Any concerns that relate to bidding processes by main contractors are escalated to Sandra for an independent review. This approach has been successfully implemented in both Large and small sand projects. Furthermore, it has unblocked projects including the N3 Hammersdale project in KZN, the N4 uh, R512 Pampunnek project in Artebiest Dam Houten, the 573 Moloto Road, and the N4 expansion in Belfast in Pumala. This approach is now been applied on the N2 N3 flagship project in KZN and the N2 Wild Coast in the Eastern Cape, which you will know that uh, the tend to parts uh, alongside the Nsikaaba part of this Wild Coast uh, route have actually been uh, affected by partly some of these uh, uh, issues we are talking about. Sandra is also pursuing engagements with many business forums that have emerged across the country representing black business and is encouraging them to unite in order to galvanize black business and ensure a proper structure and agenda to enable black business to engage better with government when demanding inclusion in the economy and to help clamp down on construction site invasions. I strongly condemn all criminal behavior that have been witnessed on various construction sites, and law enforcement must not hesitate to act against those who unlawfully disrupt this much-needed infrastructure. Government is reviewing the procurement legislative framework, and members of the public were invited to make their input into the public procurement bill, as this make this uh, government will remain committed uh, to the advancement of black business and to that extent there's been a plethora of initiatives taken this includes the amendment of triple pee act to ensure wider participation in particular by historically disadvantaged individuals i thank you
19: thank you honorable minister Honourable uh,
3: Brutus, can you do your follow-up question? Thank you, uh, Honourable House Chair. I apologise, their power is still off in my area, so the signal is not strong enough for the camera. Um, Minister, thank you for your on- answer, but 90% of it was about what the question was not about. The question is about rogue contractors, if you look at the question, and about criminal elements. I'm not speaking at all about genuine stakeholders who would like to have transformation happen in their businesses and to be involved in some contracts. We're talking about the criminal elements. These are the criminal elements that was reported were involved with former disgraced mayors. And so the question is, House Chair, to the Minister, Minister, other than just saying the police must do something about it, the question is, when will you form a task team with Minister Kehle to actually set up something to investigate these rogue contractors, these criminal contractors, and bring them to book. Thank you, Minister.
15: Honourable Minister. Uh, I don't, uh, um, Honourable Member uh, Landman, uh, uh, put aside your suggestions of uh, a joint uh, interministerial approach to this matter i think uh, it's a very very uh, uh, important uh, suggestion that we need to look at because uh, uh, in the department of transport we are mostly affected by this as you know we are largely in the construction uh, business in terms of roads and uh, and uh, even uh, when you deal with railway uh, construction and all of that, uh, we are mostly affected by this criminal element. So your suggestion of a joint is something that we need to explore uh, to deal with this. The question was answering what we're doing practically as we speak. Uh, we've got uh, PLCs that deal with this particular matters where there is genuine uh, uh, you know, concern by communities that uh, initially, before we even arrived in this department, things were happening and communities were not being uh, brought on board. And then uh, some overzealous elements within the communities seek them to hijack this genuine concern and then uh, uh, do what is called a mass protest. And then uh, criminal element come in demanding all sorts of things, including percentages and so on. So in this particular regard, uh, we we, we have sort of mitigated that situation by having a plan that we're implementing everywhere, which examples I've given, uh, including in the Moloto Road uh, corridor, uh, what we have been doing, engaging with communities through the PLCs, and ensuring that we're able to bring proper SMMEs uh, on board uh, from communities, and at the same time, we bring on board unemployed youth into the project we are implementing uh, throughout the country. So the criminal element, you are right, is a criminal element. We've got to be decisive. The law must take its course. And then you are suggesting that we can't leave that to SAPS. So your suggestion of a joint between us and SAPS and ministers who are affected by this anarchy, it is welcome. It is not something that uh, we have, uh, we have implemented as we speak, but uh, I can tell you right now, it is something that is uh, of importance. It's the same approach I've implemented, by the way, at Prasa, uh, because I engaged the Minister of Police, I engaged the Minister of uh, Justice, and uh, we came together, and they were part of the development of the security plan for Prasa, which we're implementing at the present moment, because it takes into consideration prosecution how do we charge these people who are sabotaging projects and then do we charge them with theft do we charge them with vandalism or whatever that is we said they must be charged with economic sabotage and the uh, prosecution is on board and then the police specialized approach has also been implemented in this regard so with Praasa at the center of the security in terms of coordination and maybe also that approach will assist us. So that's why I'm not uh, taking it uh, you know, lightly, the suggestion you are making, and I'm embracing it, that uh, it is something that we need to implement uh, going forward. Thank you very much, Chair.
19: Thanks uh, very much, uh, Honorable Mbalula. Then uh, the next uh, member to ask the follow-up question is Honorable Ngwezi and i don't think that he uh, is present okay akako Siakuba. um the next uh, follow up question is coming from mr a
11: amort thank you chairperson uh minister uh we we definitely need uh a strong action plan uh, in terms of not only condoning these actions, but uh, to, to, to take real action in terms of these criminal behavior. But Minister, can you assure, assure South Africans uh, that your plan to clean up not only sandral, but prasa of rogue elements, can you assure that it's not yet another empty promise or a failed-off rail plan? And then, um, are there any plans to, to privatize PRASA? Uh, Thank you. Thanks, honorable member, honorable minister. Honorable
15: no, there's, minister. there's no plan to privatize PRASA. We've got no such mandate in terms of the law uh, that establish a uh, PRASA. Um, what we're exploring in terms of the business case we're building, there are branch lines uh, at prasa that we think that uh, they could be of great uh, importance in terms of our transport expansion strategy. Uh, like if you take it between Butsabelo and the Tabanchu in the Free State, uh, and like Moloto correcto uh, rail you are talking about, those are branch lines that we think. We can expand uh, working with the private sector. So it's not privatization. Uh, We're looking at uh, options in relation to KZN, uh, taking the model of the how train to KZN, uh, because the populace of KwaZulu-Natal is growing and growing. And uh, we basically need the speed train, but locally. Uh, There's a whole lot of ideas on the table, monorail which were delayed some years back and were never implemented uh, because government doesn't have money to fund some of these projects, including the branch lines. But working with the private sector, we can get somewhere, uh, but not to the detriment uh, you know, of weakening uh, the fiscal. Uh, we're doing these things also looking at our options, talking to Treasury about some of them. So they will find the expression in our overall strategy going forward. So uh, we have closed uh, the taps uh, in terms of uh, elements of criminality. Uh, I've just uh, returned a big, uh, you know, uh, what you call uh, a tender, uh, which was full of, uh, you know, mistakes and all of that. And I said we are not going back to Shufambo and uh, all other things that used to happen at Prasa under my watchful eye. All tenders big tenders that are happening at Praza, they must be properly uh, processed. And uh, that is what is important. We're not going back where we've got um, uh, irregular issuing of contracts, major contracts, and today not even a single criminal attached to that or suspect have been arrested. So we're not going back, and it's not going to happen under me. Maybe when I'm no longer around, it can, but not now and we're putting measures not only for myself but for the board itself and even the management process to ensure that we're not going back to where this organization was at as you can see from the zondo commission and what comes out of it and so on thank you very much thanks uh,
19: honorable minister the next person for the follow up question is Honorable Mr. M. I. Hai. Honorable Hai.
17: Thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, House Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Minister, once again. Um, your response, uh, Honorable Minister,
19: <laughs>
17: to the question of uh, Honorable Pratiset uh, uh, indicates that the uh, more communities are involved, in the development and government projects, uh, the more successful the projects are. So my question is that, does the department have a program to assist the local black business forums in order to increase uh, their involvement in economic development in their areas? Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Hofstra and the minister. Thank you very much.
19: Honorable
15: minister. We are uh, including a lot of uh, black uh, contractors uh, in terms of uh, our strategy at uh, Sunrun. Uh, um, when it comes to them taking part um, in the in the in the big uh, projects that we are undertaking in the country, so it is part and parcel of the work that uh, uh, Sandran is is undertaking in all the major contracts and uh, uh, where we are involved uh, at the national level. Uh, Shareholder compacts have been strengthened to this extent to ensure that uh, our entities and agencies do respond to this. So black business, uh, in particular, small, medium, macro enterprises, uh, in the different areas and all of that are brought on board. They are exposed to training, they are given capacity, and that is what is happening. Under the auspices of bigger companies that are given work, uh, you can see that our job when it comes to Sandra is flawless. We don't do our big projects that collapse uh, some way down the line, and that there's no accountability. Somebody has disappeared along the way and all of that. The only obstacle to us has been these criminal elements. And this is what we're dealing with. You will see in the next coming weeks, we will be going back to the Eastern Cape to open up the projects that have been killed and run down by criminal element. And uh, we embrace everything that has been said here uh, in terms of sharpening our capacity to deal with the criminal element as we roll out road infrastructure Uh, in the country particularly bigger projects that attract investment and at the same time uh, uh, create jobs for our people thank you very much thanks
19: very much honorable uh, minister honorable members i think now we're done with our follow-up our questions and the follow-up questions i would like to thank the, the both minister for the response and the meeting is adjourned. Thank
15: you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jay.
16: thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you,
9: thank you, thank you, thank you, so much, thank you, thank you, and my friend. <laughs> <laughs>
8: My colleagues, is it debriefing, or can I close?
2: see um, in fact, I see a message here. No debriefing meeting today.
8: Sorry, advocate. see Sisha.
2: Yes. Yes, advocate. I see a message on the WhatsApp saying there's no briefing
8: meeting today. Oh, okay, I'll close. Yeah. Thanks, thanks,
16: Okay, thanks. Cheers.